Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm Ben Easter. I'm here with Clayton Olson today. And I'm actually really excited to talk about this one today because I, while I know about this model, I don't know about it very in depth. And so I'm really interested to have this conversation and kind of see what your thoughts are on the victim triangle. And what do you call it? The empowerment dynamic is the flip side of it. So we'll like kind of touch on both of these. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody wants to look it up, it's called the dreaded drama triangle. And then there was the inverse of this created called the empowerment dynamic by a guy named David Emerald, and he's got a book called The Empowerment Dynamic. I'm excited to talk about this as well because it is such a useful, universal model for how people get into really crappy situations with themselves and with others in relationship, whether it's an intimate relationship or whether you're in business, friendship, family, this drama dynamic that we're going to talk to today becomes present. Yeah. How would somebody use this thing? If we were to notice this thing that we're about to describe and talk about, what does one do with it? Yeah, great question. So what this does is it is a model that when we distinguish it and bring it to our conscious awareness, it'll give us an opportunity to become aware of the ways in which we are keeping ourselves stuck in what might feel like chaos in a relationship or what might feel like a really disempowering situation. So we're going to illuminate three different positions in the dreaded trauma triangle that people often find themselves in. And when you can start to see the different behaviors and ways of being that these three positions occupy, you might be able to relate to them. And you then have an opportunity to step outside of the cycle and transcend it and actually really truly recreate the relationship from the ground up in a way that's going to actually work and allow you to feel that you're empowered um, or perhaps to end the relationship, move on, take a break from it. And the way that I think about this is as sort of a cycle or as like a kind of a trap that we get into where we'll shift from like one of these roles to another and kind of just like move through this escalator of drama, basically, yes. um, escalator. I don't know if that's a great <laughs> metaphor, but, but moving from kind of like one, one phase to the other. Yeah. At, and then we wind up stuck because we're not in, in power really in any of the roles that we could be playing in this drama triangle. Do I understand that? Yeah. Yeah. Each one of these roles is very fluid. And oftentimes yeah. if you're in the triangle, you're switching from one position to the other. And the, each one has its own experience of pain and experience of suffering. And then I, I also want to just hold space because it's come to my awareness lately that I, it would be useful for me to do this, it, especially in a lot of the podcasts, but I do want to hold space that it, there's no judgment. If you're playing this game in your reality, it's okay for you to be exactly where you are. 
this is an adaptive strategy that we figure out as we kind of evolve as human beings. And it's there to serve a purpose for you. We can go into a little bit of that. You're not doing anything wrong. It's just there's another way that you could think about things that might feel a little bit more full of choice for you. And so we'll be talking about that today. And what you're doing such a great job at representing here is in some ways like the first position, which is we can call it the victim position. So if you're listening to this podcast and you start to feel like a victim to some of these ideas, (laughs) you feel blamed and persecuted. Uh, Mm. Pause for a moment and notice where the drama triangle might be happening right now in the podcast and that there's an opportunity to get really curious about that. Um, awesome. And, you know, just it's while you're speaking. So I'm just noticing how universal this is. I want to also say that this is something that I really love to educate my coaching clients on when we begin our professional relationship, because it really helps us start to sidestep and notice the territories of disempowerment, even within our relationship that would stifle the growth or stop us from really achieving the success that we're both setting out mm-hmm. to create. Really um, useful. So will you, uh, will you break it down and just kind of like explain for us the full model of the triangle and what are the different positions and how do they kind of work? Sure. I will do my best. So this is something that I learned in a transactional analysis uh, course that I took that was part of some NLP training about a decade ago. And this drama triangle was developed by a guy named Stephen Cartman in the early 1960s. And I I think it was part of transactional analysis at that point, but it's a lot of psychotherapists know about this model and use it as an overlay for relationships. So the three essential positions that one can find themselves in and what it might be helpful for is if you are listening to this right now, this podcast, maybe think about a challenging relationship that you're in currently something where it doesn't feel like it's necessarily working the way that you would like it to, or that you get some type of negative experience in your body when you think about the relationship. Maybe you're stuck in a pattern that's unwanted. Just kind of evoke that now so we have an idea of a place where we can start to categorize some of these positions into. So we've got three different positions. The first one is victim. And if we would look at this as like a triangle, so imagine like an, an upside down triangle, so a triangle pointing down. At the bottom position, we have victim. In the top left position, we have persecutor. And in the top right position, we have hero. Okay, I've also heard the persecutor called villain sometimes. Yeah, persecutor, villain, yep. And then over to the right, we've got hero or savior. Savior, champion, yeah. And then we've got victim at the bottom. So the the victim, if we're going to talk about that position for a moment, just in in summary, the, the victim is a person who feels truly at effect of a circumstance or a person there's a way as opposed to cause at cause of of the circumstance so things are happening to me things are happening to me this person is doing this thing to me and it's all my fault or it's all their fault they're in this paradigm of of blame a paradigm of feeling like there's not anything that they can actually do to really switch the situation themselves And so life is persecuting them, a person is persecuting them, a circumstance is persecuting them. A history, like something that happened from childhood is persecuting them, like a situation that existed. Yeah, some type of obstacle that they don't know how to overcome is persecuting them. And what they're looking for, what they believe is the answer, is for a hero or a savior to come along and give them the necessary answer. That something outside of them will come and basically save them from their circumstance, save them from their history, save them from 
whatever dynamic that they're in, and they'll finally be okay again. Now, what's interesting is that the victim position actually ends up um, in, this is an interesting way of saying it, but it's they, they're creating these other two positions. They're being, who they're being, their understanding is that they're looking out at the world, and it's almost like they're sorting the world in this kind of binary way, where they're seeing situations that are threatening and persecuting them, and then possible people and other things that might save them. So it's like, we could even look at this around like, a, you know, give an example could be something around like money you could look at your lack of money and that maybe capitalistic society or or something in this nature is the persecutor and i hear i hear this a lot it's really interesting that exact example yeah and in the realm of business you know totally right and so this circumstance this context is persecuting me i'm a victim to it and it, here's what I need to fix this is maybe I need more money or I need this position or I need this certain thing to happen outside of me to save me from this persecuting situation, circumstance, person, and then I'll be okay. And it could be anything, right? Like anything that you've identified as being like this kind of savior on this. So it could be that golden strategy, the magic bullet that you find to solve the money thing, like the, the tool for business, or it could be the government having some kind of policy or something that comes in that saves us, or it could be like really anything at all. It doesn't have to be a person necessarily. It could be anything Yes, um, that you believe is just going to like come in and swoop in on a white horse and rescue you from whatever the situation is. It, it could be a business coach named Ben Easter. <laughs> right? it, it could be that all of a sudden there's a way in which you are orienting towards a coach or a therapist or some type of outside consultant as seen as that they are going to be the hero that's going to come in and create all of the answers for you from whatever circumstance that you're in. Um, I just want to pause because I love this so much that this model is so pervasive in reality that if you follow the podcast, you listen to Paige and I do the Disney movies where we're like, we'll review the Disney movies. This thing is like the rising action for every single Disney movie that ever happens is like, there's some situation where the hero is like, you think of like the village and the village, it comes under attack from some outside force or something like that. And then we need a hero to rise up and save the village. And so that's like what, what starts to happen in this thing. And I think it's just like, it's so deeply in our subconscious, this triangle that you can see it literally once you start to notice it, you can see it everywhere in the world. Yes. Yes. To that point too. And and I love that you brought up Disney because as I was thinking about this before our conversation, I was like, God, I was like, I bet Ben, with some of these other podcasts you're doing around this are seeing this constantly. So I love that you're, you're connecting that dot here. Um, and another piece too, is this is so embedded in our psychology. This is actually how marketing works and what marketing is essentially exploiting underlying what you said earlier about like the silver bullet solution, you know, the, the three simple steps, the fix that's going to save me from whatever kind of problem that I'm having. And so, you know, we are taught in some ways culturally through conditioning to be consumers and to be a consumer in some ways is to be a victim in position persecuted by maybe a lack of good looks persecuted by a lack of status persecuted by maybe a lack of belonging but if we were to buy this thing whatever it is xyz which is in the hero position then we will be okay and we'll be saved from this victim position that we find ourselves in And this shit is so meta that I'm going to go even one layer deeper. 
even it's happening right now in, in that thing that you just said, like we are conditioned as people. So there's this situation that's happening to us. And now we, if, if only we have this mindset model the, of the drama triangle that can come in and save us from our positioning in the world. It's so pervasive. So again, I just want to point out, like this is totally normal for this to happen. And it just gets us stuck in a way of thinking if we're not careful to be like always on the lookout for what are those, what are those villains? What are those heroes in our world? Right. Um, yeah, no, this model will save people though. This model, yeah. <laughs> but this one's different y'all. So tune in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love I love the the meta on that. Yes, and and that is so. Just again, how um, I think it's ubiquitous. It's Shows like just everywhere, all over the place, everywhere around. Just how we relate to things outside of ourselves as being the answer. You know, I mean, I'm thinking literally every like I've got these books in my background right here. You know what I mean? And it's like each one of them. It's like you have this problem, we have this solution, and it's like that is kind of the 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 model of. The way that our minds, I think it's part of how we're built to process the world, I think, in some ways. So totally. Totally. Uh, it's everywhere. Yeah. I'm curious, too, you know, as we as we talk a little bit further into these different positions, you know, how they kind of show up in your work. Um, so, you know, I'll name this just in my world of some of the relationship work that I do. You know, somebody may be in the victim position because they feel like they don't have the relationship that they want and what's persecuting them could be that there's no good men out there or that there's no good women out there. It could be some type of limiting belief about a certain obstacle or something that's stopping you from going out and creating what you want. And the hero in that position is like the, the finally the healthy relationship or the person that's going to love them the way that they want to be loved. Um, the person that's going to come and save them from their boring ass life that they're uninspired by. Like these, these are some things that actually happen. And, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit just to make a point here. The ways in which we look at relationship, we think that our life will be so much better once we get that relationship and how that actually has us then enter into dating, enter into the relationship field from a place of disempowerment because we are psychologically, subtly, and sometimes maybe overtly looking for someone to rescue us from our circumstance which is not attractive. It's not magnetic. And what we end up doing is if we find someone who is going to willingly play the hero role in our life, we enter into and start a, a chain reaction that could lead to what, I'll, what I'm about to talk to you next. Great. Awesome. So the next piece here is how does one switch between these different roles? So let's talk about the persecutor. So the persecutor role, um, if it is embodied by a person, it might be this position is in some ways casting blame. There's no responsibility. The general orientation towards the victim is you're not okay. And whatever you're doing is not enough. You're not enough. You're not, you're not doing well enough. You need to do these things. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you regardless. And the only way to actually restore yourself is to do what I'm telling you to do. And then the hero signature is in plays into the victim by saying, no, it's, it's not your fault. And actually it's not your responsibility. And I can come and save you and basically do the things that you would do for yourself. I will do these things for you and take the work and the responsibility off of your plate and the pain and the suffering and the, and the suffering, right? Which actually then just reinforces the powerlessness of the victim. So the hero is swooping along. The hero is not okay. 
with the victim feeling not okay. And so the hero in many ways sacrifices themselves, disempowers the, the victim further. You know, we can see this also happen in codependent relationships. If you've got somebody who is has a, an alcohol addiction or any type of addiction, some type of destructive behavior, the codependent slips into the hero position and they is trying to save the alcoholic or save the addict from themselves by overcompensating for that one's behaviors, trying to help them avoid hitting any sense of rock bottom that might bring a sobriety and clarity that would ultimately change their life. There's a way in which the hero is constantly trying to insulate the victim from the reality of their own consequences. I love that example because then you can see how the cycle can perpetuate itself then that way. The example that you just gave, if there's like not that sort of rock bottom moment or that like coming home to oneself period, because there's always been something to insulate from it, then you could see how we never quite get to where the victim becomes the hero in that way. Yes. And when you say hero, do you mean in some ways like the, the kind of creator or the, the agent? The, the pow- I mean, the power, the power source oh, rather than the, yes. you know, the cause rather than the effect in the yes. reality. Yeah. Yes. 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 So I, I don't mean, yeah, hero and not in the lingo that we're talking about, but I do mean in the, um, in the, in like, they're the hero of their own story. Is right. The sense that I meant in. So what David Emerald would call that position, what you're talking to, just so we can kind of foreshadow it a little bit and make sure we're using the language where it doesn't get mixed up is the, the creator position. Cool. So how these positions switch. So the, the hero is there saving the victim, enabling the victim's powerlessness. And then suddenly what might very well end up happening with the hero is the hero sacrifices and gives and gives and tries to save to no avail, carries the weight of the world on their shoulders of this other person's reality trying to fix them. And then suddenly they start feeling like a victim and they actually turn the victim who they're trying to save into the persecutor of their position because they can't get out from underneath the responsibility that they've taken on their shoulders to continue to save. Suddenly they start feeling victimized by the victim's circumstance and problem. Yeah. The victim moves to persecutor and they move to victim. Mm -hmm. We, in any type of dysfunctional relationship, or let's just say this, a dysfunctional dynamic that's occurring within a relationship, because this, look, this happens in healthy relationships as well. You know, I, I noticed this happen in my relationship with my fiance is mm-hmm. like something happens that we're not necessarily taking empowered dynamic around. And it's just such human nature to slip into one of these three positions, you know, from yeah. a place of what looks like love or trying to support the other person, um, but not coming from a place of like empowerment or trusting that one is okay or that they can handle their own consequences. And the next thing you know, you find yourself on the victim triangle, switching from these different positions, fights ensue. And if you're not conscious of it, you can stay there for a really long time. I just see this happen in any type of relationship drama that someone is bringing to me that's happening with their partner. This dynamic is almost always present. Yeah, it doesn't have to just sound like a fight. That's not the only way that this manifests is like, you know, aggressive tension. It can also be sort of a like a an unfulfilled feeling, almost like a complaining sort of energy. There are different ways that this thing shows up. Um, or, or resentment is another way that this can show up and manifest. And it's anytime you're really having that dramatic experience in a relationship, I think, look look to this model and see if you can identify what role you're playing right now, what position you're playing in the drama triangle. 
can you open that up a little bit more? I think what you're saying is so important around this piece of like where it might not be this act of fighting where these roles are so clearly distinguished, but rather it's some some way in which you're in the relationship and maybe you're feeling unsettled, unsatisfied or resentful. How do you see these positions playing out in that? Yeah, I think like resentment is a, a really clear example because for me, this is what the model looks like. So we have responsibility or we're out of responsibility. And that is like, there's kind of this, this twin role as we continue this conversation, I want to talk more about, does anybody ever think that they're actually in the villain position? But it seems like the villain is always necessarily someone else. Like, I think like even in Disney movies, like the the villain is always like on some kind of quest for what they think is a better world, like immortality or whatever it is. Mm. The thing that I'm saying is like, we're in this position where when I'm resenting someone else, my partner, my business partner, the public, the market, the capitalist society, whatever it is, where I'm having this like experience of resentment, what's happening is anytime resentment is showing up, I have some value that's not being experienced in my reality. And, and I haven't like set or exerted a boundary for myself. And I'm like making it about some other experience, some other situation, some person, some whatever. And that is where, I am the victim and there is a perpetrator. There's a villain out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so that resentment piece, I think is a clue to, to like kind of say, Oh, this thing is happening. Or if, if it's like, Oh man, it's never enough for you. That would be another way that this would show up. Like, Oh, there's nothing. It's never like nothing ever satisfies you would be a, a, a victim stance to take where now we've got a perpetrator. And so, um, I think that it's, it's subtle. It doesn't, it's not always like just fighting. It can sometimes be just like a very unsatisfying dynamic that exists in a relationship that is also rooted in this uh, drama triangle. Totally. Yeah. Love it. And it's super important distinction there Uh, because in some ways, what I hear you also saying is that you might find yourself in this dynamic almost secretively. Like, like this just internal struggle that you're in where you keep slipping from victim to, finding yourself maybe being the persecutor of the person in your relationship. You know, I've I've noticed that this in my um, relationship where sometimes I will slip into the persecutor of my partner. And what's ironic about it, and this speaks to something you said earlier, do we ever actually identify as the persecutor? Are we actually identifying as maybe like an active victim? Yeah. Where it's like, I'm trying to get someone to change so that I can be okay. But to them, I'm coming off as a persecutor and I'm, and I'm totally acting like that because they need to change in order for me to be okay. Interesting. I see this in my own relationship that I'll, I'll be like, oh, well, if only you could see this thing differently, then all of a sudden you would feel more empowered. So even though you might say trying to get you to change or something like that, I can see how that would be like the villain in one of these Disney movies thinking that I'm like for the good of the world. But meanwhile, I'm perpetrating against a victim in the world. So it's like, there's a fine line in the felt experience between the savior and the perpetrator. Yeah. And when you're showing up as one versus the other, it's all a story, but yeah, there's a fine line and it's all a matter of perspective. And I think the commonality amongst all these positions is that there's just a powerlessness that goes along with them. Mm. You're trying to change the outside world. You're trying to get something from the outside world. You're uh, leading to other people as if they're not okay and that they may need to be saved, which requires maybe a, kind of sacrifice on your part, like each one of these positions is painful, Um, Mm -hmm. not a place to create from. It's not truly a place to, um, I think, find your own internal balance from. Yeah. So anything else you want to say about the triangle itself before we move up? Because I'd like to empower people as well. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's good. Cool. So let's notice then if we become aware of this, that we're playing one of these roles, that we've stepped into one of these roles. Yeah. Now what? Now I'm going to start drawing on a little bit of David Emerald's writings, which he's an author that wrote the book called The Empowerment Dynamic. So he's taken the dreaded trauma triangle that is this kind of inverted pyramid. And what he's done is he's flipped it up. So now it's it's pointing upwards above it. And essentially what happens here is when we transcend this victim triangle, there is an opportunity then to move into these three new positions. So the persecutor turns into the challenger. The hero turns into the coach. The victim turns into the creator. Okay. And so what's happening here, the way that I understand it and the way that I've explained it to the clients that I've worked with and kind of my own understanding is that when the persecutor moves to challenger, for instance, the, the challenger is more coming from a place of, I know that you're okay. And I'm not assuming that you're not okay. And I'm actually relating to you as if I know that you are the creator of your own reality. Mm. And so therefore, there's nothing that you need to do. There are challenging invitations that I might be offering to you to take a look at. There may be ways in which I am inviting an excavation of learning through the statements and the invitations that I might give you, the ways in which I'm inviting you to push your edge, but I'm doing it from a place of actually trusting in your wholeness and completeness and ultimately that you're okay. That there's mm. nothing, I'm not attached to you doing anything that I'm actually asking you to do. Like the persecutor. The persecutor is like, I need you to do this. I need you to do that in order for me to be okay. The challenger is just simply taking on an intention of learning and expansion and growth as mm. they offer these invitations to the creator. I, that's interesting because I'm, well, go ahead and flush the rest of it out because I have oh. a hypothesis. So yeah, I would love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Okay, so mm. the hero moves into the coach. And now what's happening here is once again, the coach is not relating to this new position as if they're a victim. The coach is relating to this person as if they have all the answers inside of them. They are whole and complete. And that this is just a matter of helping them get in touch with their own resourcefulness and beginning to, with inquiry and with questions, helping them to excavate truly what it is that they want. Not what they don't want, but what do they want? What do they want to create? What is the North Star that the creator wants to start orienting towards? And asking questions such as, what will having that do for you? How will you know when you've got this? And helping them begin to craft a vision and create something that they want intentionally versus what the victim's doing, which is kind of falling into this default mode of living into a nightmare of what they don't want. Mm. Um, Planning and feeling victimized. Yeah. So the coach is just helping them actually, in many ways, take responsibility for their own creatorship. And Love that. I also want to notice, by the way, if you want to charge up your goals, those two questions that Clayton just asked, what will this give you? What will this be for the sake of in your reality once you have this thing that you want? And then how will you know when you've got it? Start asking yourself those questions about any goals that you have in your reality and you, they will become turbocharged. It's, I think it's like a really powerful frame. So I just wanted to like highlight that and double click on it for a second. Great mark out there for sure. And so the victim moves into the creator position. And this is one where the victim actually begins to realize, um, not from a place of blame, but from a place of truly recognizing that they 
are the architect of their experience. Mm. And they are the common denominator across all of the unwanted experiences that they're having. And that when they realize that and they step into that, they also realize that if I'm the architect of it, then I can also be the dismantler of these unwanted experiences that I'm creating. And so the victim moves into the creator and starts to really ask the question, okay, how am I creating this current circumstance? What is my contribution to the dreaded drama triangle that I've been in? How am I actually keeping it alive? How am I consenting to allowing and creating this dynamic to occur? And then moving into, okay, great. Now, what is it that I want? What do I want to create? And this is where I just want to jump back into the very first thing I said in the podcast. There's nothing wrong when you are creating and architecting these situations that are happening in your life. You are fine. This is just a way of looking at these things in a way of empowerment rather than as a result of your reality. So if you find that you are the architect of these situations in your life, you know, you're not bad. You're not wrong. Everything is fine. This is just a a different way of looking at things so that you can stand in your own power a little bit more. Exactly. It's through the back door of responsibility. We are allowing ourselves to actually get out of a place of powerlessness and, and move into a place where we can start to ask the questions that are fundamentally going to change our experience. And help us start to shift into and create healthy dynamics that are are born from a place of intention and love and freedom and clarity. Yeah. Versus toxic dynamics. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like if you find that you're creating these things in your life, this is what the really cool distinction I think here is if you recognize, if you come to realize that you are the architect of these situations in your life from a place of no judgment you now have so much power in your reality because if you have been creating them the way that they are, you can create them some other way. And this is, I think, a really beautiful and empowering thought to think, you know, frame to hold for the world. Totally. I would love to put an example out of uh, this playing out in both the bottom triangle versus the top in a a client situation. I'm going to share my hypothesis before you do that because I want to see then we can play together to see if it works. So my hypothesis is that the difference between the victim triangle and the empowerment triangle is that the belief that the person at the center of it, the victim in one case and the creator in the other is whole resourceful and complete versus fundamentally lacking something in the world. Okay. And that's my hypothesis is that that is the fundamental distinction between the the two triangles. That's what flips the triangles. Yeah, I think that's correct. What you're speaking to is this kind of core assumption we're making about ourselves or others even. And others in life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is everything perfect or is everything fundamentally broken? (laughs) And do I actually have a say in how I experience anything or am I just completely victim to it all? And I just have to you know, roll with the punches, life is a war zone, and all I can do is survive. There's so many different types of beliefs that go into crystallizing and holding in place a dynamic that's not working for us. And so as we start to excavate these, and we really start to see the the scaffolding by which our experience is born, we can start to shift it and change it. Let's talk a specific example. Example that I had of this is a client that I was working with, um, who is an executive, and he's got a couple people on his team. And one person on his team, he noticed that he kept feeling that he would switch between the hero and the victim position in this dynamic. So he would go into the hero mode where he really wanted this 
individual on his team to succeed. But what he would find is that he would start to overcompensate for this person's lack of capability, lack of skill, lack of attention, lack of presence to the work that they're doing. And so he would be swooping in and saving them around their work. Mm-hmm. What this would do is he would get a serotonin hit on, on one level for swooping in and being the hero and being able to exercise his confidence. But then he'd find himself quickly in the victim position being like, okay, well, I'm caring too much. This feels like I'm compromising myself. I'm disabling this person's capacity to actually perform. And now I'm feeling like a victim in this experience where now I have to uphold this same type of behavior over and over again to keep this person on my team. And and there's a genuine care there. And that's also what's kind of holding this in place is that there is a genuine care for this person on his team to succeed. Now, when we started to identify the vacillation between these two points, that hero and the victim, we realized that we needed to start to move into this upper part of the triangle, which is moving into the creator and being the coach. And what that required was, number one, for him to allow his employee to fail, for him mm-hmm. to allow the person on his team to actually hit rock bottom if he needed to, and for him to not swoop in and save this person. And to actually let this person hit rock bottom and create and develop the necessary learning so that they can move into the creator position. Mm. That's something that's often misunderstood is that, you know, going from victim to creator, it might not be just an easy mental switch. It might actually require one to go through the gauntlet of actually Mm. failing and finding their feet underneath them, having created a new decision and then stepping into being the creator from that mm-hmm. point, taking responsibility for certain consequences and then stepping up in their life. And so as my client moved more into the role of being a coach rather than a hero, he allowed this gentleman to go on his own learning journey within the workplace and mm-hmm. for this guy to begin to transition from victim to creator. And what happened with my client is that they were able to get out of the way and start to actually hold the space for this person's development in a way that no longer disabled them and kept them in a victim position, which mm-hmm. then on the other side of it allows that person to gain the necessary skills and then to, to become a necessary and competent person on the team again. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that's like kind of best case scenario. It might be in other situations that somebody ends up actually transitioning out and maybe someone has to get fired or there's a realization that they're not the best for the role. This is probably one of the best case scenarios. When you're in the hero position with maybe your team or you're in the hero position in your relationship, it's not sustainable. It's exhausting. And it is a hotbed for resentment. You know, that resentment mm-hmm. talking about earlier, this is where the resentment starts to come in is because you are operating out of your power and you're, you're trying to hold something up that's not yours, whether it's in someone else or, or some other circumstance. Yeah. And it sounds like part of what's happening in that scenario is that what flips the switch is the permission to fail. And, and again, I just want to tie it back because I do think that the hypothesis played out in this situation. It's like the executive came to some sort of acceptance that it was okay for this person to fail and learn his lessons or not learn his lessons and be in whatever place it was. And that opened up some freedom in the dynamic for this person to start to show up as a creator in their own reality, in his own reality over here. 
Yeah. That's it. Tying it back to that. Exactly. Yeah. A question that is useful, I think, is, is it okay for this situation to play out exactly how it plays out? Mm -hmm. Can we be okay with it if it fails, if it doesn't work this way so that we can free ourselves from this dynamic? Because we know that the hero victim dynamic is unsustainable. Yeah. That's where overwhelm and burnout come in, come from. That's where like icky team dynamics happen, where there's that resentment or that like sort of combative or whatever those those feelings, the drama feelings are happening, are rooted in some fundamental belief that it's not okay to be the way that you are. Yeah. And it's not okay for that to look like whatever it looks like in the world. Yeah. And you have to change and you have to do it a different way. Otherwise, things will be awful. That's like the the part of the sentence that nobody ever completes. (laughs) You have to do it. And I think it's so important to challenge that. And also just to, I want to name that like this, this move from the dreaded drama triangle to the empowerment dynamic, I think is a really scary one. It's not just like, oh, boom, again, just we, we flipped the switch and now suddenly I'm a creator and I'm a coach. It's like, you might have to face in an underlying assumption that you don't want to face in order to make that transformation. Like what you're saying that I'm actually kind of stand in the perspective that it is okay for this person to fail. Mm-hmm. And that might reflect on me. And it might create some horrible result in the world, quote unquote, like something that we really don't want. Yeah. And so it's, it takes a real act of courage to move into this position of actually trusting someone to be whole and complete and face their own consequences and stop taking responsibility for them. I mean, it, t- it takes tremendous courage to move into that position. So I don't want to you know, gloss over this and, and make this like a mental trick. I think it, mm. it requires a real um, recontextualizing of oneself and of what reality is to move cleanly into that position of being a coach from hero. I love that you pulled that concept of courage into this. I think courage is such a beautiful concept and such a powerful tool in our toolkit. For me, the question is like, is this something that's worth being courageous about because if it's not fucking save yourself the headache (laughs) i love that you brought that in because so much of the great benefits that we can experience in our world come from taking some kind of courageous action yeah in the world that helps us to become the kind of person who doesn't build walls around the city to protect from some threat some external threat but actually like comes to acceptance that the threat could happen and that we can be okay on the other side of that threat. And I think that's courageous action. If there's no risk of failure of, you know, loss of whatever the thing that you're afraid of is, then we don't actually have courage and we won't ever develop confidence actually. Cause I think confidence comes from courage. I think we only develop confidence when we have taken courageous action and action can only be courageous in the presence of something risky Mm. where we have a possibility of loss. Mm. So I love that you brought that up because I think it's so important to have there be space for this not to be like an easy, like just a a switch that you flip in your mind, because think about what courage requires is risk. And so if you're not facing something that's like, something that you actually don't want to happen, then we haven't accessed courage and we probably haven't accessed the transformation. And that, again, is why I think it's so important to have this mental model of whole, resourceful, and complete. I will be okay. I don't need anything from the outside world to be okay. And that's, I think, that is like an access point to to kind of access courage a little bit more readily. What's coming to mind is that what keeps people in 
and what keeps myself when I find myself in this dreaded drama triangle is there's a fear that's present. There's a fear that keeps me in the loop and that finding out almost the exact place that I don't want to go. Right. Like, what is it? Enter the Joseph Campbell. Yeah. The the treasure that you most seek is in the cave that you most fear to enter. Exactly. Yeah. That that's actually a step in moving into the empowerment dynamic is going into the cave that you don't want to go into, which might be surrendering to something, not from a place of resignation, but right. Like surrendering control, surrendering, trying to control others and or and moving into a place of like really taking radical responsibility for your part in creating the very thing that you don't want and then having the courage to dismantle that dynamic that might lead to a loss of approval validation or identity identity, exactly and it might require others to change the way that they see you and change the way that they dance with you to be in relationship moving forward yeah and i think the fear is almost always a fear of loss like it's a believing in some kind of lack in the world that there is going to be a situation or that there could be a situation where you won't have enough, where you won't have something that you want in the world yeah. and that that can be a state in yeah. existence. And that's why I think that this model of whole resourceful and complete, like if you actually come to understand that you have always had enough exactly as you are right now, not in some sort of esoteric philosophical way, but like you are here right now listening to this. And if that's the case, Everything has always worked out mm-hmm. somehow <laughs> you are here. You are whole resourceful and complete all within yourself yeah. to, to find whatever the thing is that you're looking for in the world. And I think that that can be like a really useful distinction. If, if we can come to remember that mm. and remember that there's two forces in the world, love and fear, love and fear. We can make those, we can make choices from one of those two places all the time. And there are like ways that those play out, but it's, we're either moving towards something that we want or we're moving away from something that we don't want. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of the essence of human motivation. Mm. And that's where the two different triangles come from. Yeah. We are either taking action from a place of fear and that's the victim villain savior triangle, Mm. the drama triangle, or we're acting from a place of love. Yeah. Wholeness, completeness. Yeah. And then we've got the creator. The empowerment. Yeah. Thanks. What David Emerald's uh, coined. Yeah. You know, we, we learn the dreaded drama triangle from our parents, from watching the way that our parents relate to each other. We learn it from society and how movies, TV, songs. And, And we also learn it from just, I think, being a dependent child where we do have things that are occurring to us that we feel that we need to be really saved from. We are dependent entities where we crap ourselves and need to be fed and could suffocate in the blanket if we roll over the wrong way. And it's like, there is an element of our parents playing a hero role and where we feel victimized and maybe persecuted by our environment. And I think it's to say that this drama triangle is there with good reason, because I think it is accurately described and has provided maybe some meaning to like early childhood situations that created shock and confusion but this is an invitation to really grow up and be an adult rather than a child in terms of how we relate to the world is that if we are in the dreaded trauma triangle, in some ways we are operating from a standpoint of being a child in our lives. Yeah. And I'm not talking about being like a pure child where of like open to possibility. I'm talking about (laughs) 
immature programming, immature perspectives. And this is a call to move into truly adult consciousness where we're sovereign individuals that have agency in our experience and in our relationships and can step into the role of being a creator. Just so that we're not looking at this kind of dreaded drama triangle as like a fallen state or maybe just understanding a little bit more of the origin of why it's there so we can have more compassion and understanding for the purpose that it served. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> Come by it honestly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. As we yeah. invite people to move into these, these kind of higher tier levels of perspective around creator, challenger, and coach. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think one final distinction that I'd like to make is that it's a practice. This is not something that you like... I think you could decide, maybe in some states of mind, that could be powerful enough. But I think that it's it's more resourceful to think of it as a practice that we decide to enter into of taking more and more ownership in our reality, more and more of that creator role in our reality, more decisions from love than fear, and just kind of shifting the balance. And just it can be okay for it to take some time, and it can be okay to be on the journey of it. And to start to become aware of it and then not to judge ourselves for where it came from, but to have compassion for, again, that it came, came by it honestly and to move more and more into that place incrementally over time and not have some story that we should be there already or there's something yeah. wrong with us if we're not. Yeah, love yeah. it. Great final point. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you. As always, thank you so much. Folks, Clayton is a master of this stuff. So if you want to reach out, Clayton, they find you on Instagram, they find you on your website. I mean, YouTube, yeah, wherever it is. Actually, you talk about this yeah. a, a lot on YouTube as mm-hmm. well. So if you want to dig more into this, go check out Clayton's YouTube channel because he, he's got some really great explorations of these concepts. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Thank you for yeah. uh, for dancing this conversation. Yeah, always enjoy it. Yeah, thanks, brother. All right, see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.